Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of On Call with KB. I'm your host, KB, and for those of you who may not know, On Call with KB takes the wildest and craziest episodes of your favorite medical TV dramas, and we talk to some experts about whether or not they are scientifically and medically factual. So for this brand new episode, I have the wonderful and brilliant ER doc, Dr. Tish, to talk about the most legendary and arguably iconic episode of Grey's Anatomy, the one with a man with a bomb inside his body cavity. That's right. We are talking season two, episode 17, as we know it, that supersized Super Bowl episode. But before Dr. Tish and I dive into some science and real life cases, I chat with my dear friend, Connie, who is also a brilliant social media manager and highly renowned journalist in the entertainment space. Connie and I get a chance to dive into this iconic episode, talk about what we were doing, all of the surprises, and even talk about Meredith's mental health state because my goodness, this episode takes you on a journey. So you don't want to miss, stay tuned. Hi, Connie, welcome. Hi, KB. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm very excited. Also, this concept is amazing. And I'm just so excited to get into one of my favorite medical dramas. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. So, yes, um, you know, you and I have bonded over this show many a times. Also, you know, we have fallen out over this show many a times in the sense that, (laughs) you know, Connie, you like to just dip from watching and I'm a person who has to finish what I start. And sometimes we do not meet in the middle because you skip episodes and I'm like, listen, but we can agree on this iconic episode for sure. Absolutely. Um, I am a incompletist when it comes to Grey's Anatomy. I think, you know, some of our listeners will understand at 17, 18 seasons or however many we're at now, um, the show has had its ups and downs and I've had its ups and my ups and downs with it. 
Um, I think one of our mutual friends, Kayla, uh, said that it's uh, her longest relationship. And isn't it an abusive Same. one? Maybe. Um, so. <laughs> Listen, I adore it. I still adore it, you know, because I mean, no, no show is without, you know, um, the highs and lows of life. And, and I think that that's mostly because, you know, we get so attached to certain characters and when they leave and yes. we feel heartbroken. And so that's happened a few times on Grey's, you know. I was watching this episode. Yes. And thinking, wow, look how many people are literally not on the show anymore. Uh, there's a line where George is like, uh, or someone, I think it was like Izzy or uh, Alex were like, and again, saying these names, it was like, oh, should we call Meredith's family? And George is like, we're Meredith's family. And I'm like, none of you are left. <laughs> so it hurts so much to think about it. Like nobody from the main cast, except for Bailey and the chief are left. And I'm like, her family, she has new family. And, you know, it's all about the evolution and the growth. But man, it was like crazy to watch, like go back and watch this episode with classic characters. And you know what? I mean, it's natural, right? After so many seasons for actors to just kind of want to take Absolutely. on new projects, do new things. And so we get that. But... <laughs> yes, in this current season, Dr. Addison Montgomery Shepard is back. So, you know, it is nice to have another familiar face in this season from seeing this episode. Mm -hmm. So for us, this episode, as we know it, is quite frankly what I will still call the most iconic episode of Grey's Anatomy mm -hmm. in the sense that it was the first time in network television that we got like a super size post-Super Bowl episode. And it was a two-part series. And it's about a bomb in a bomb cavity. Like, <laughs> what? Excuse me. It's about a bomb in a body cavity. So, let me tell you. So, in part one, you know, Meredith, I feel like kind of jinxed herself. I also feel like Shepard jinxed himself. Like, I feel like everyone just, it's a really kind of like superstitious type day. Cause in part one, they're all like, oh, I have a terrible feeling. I'm going to die. She's like, yeah, I have a terrible feeling. I'm going to die. And then everyone else is like, oh, there are no surgeries on the board. That must mean this is going to be an awful day. Which yeah. I was like, not y'all being so superstitious that is like really out of control. So I feel like they jinxed themselves in part one. And then in part two, it almost feels like Meredith is intentionally trying to commit suicide because she steps in, you know, when Christina Ricci's character, which also shout out to Christina Ricci because my girl's been acting. Shout out to Christina Ricci. Like, honestly, like they had amazing guest stars in this episode, along with Cal Chandler. Like those two guest stars were perfect for this double episode. Let's just start there. <laughs> I mean, amazing. So Cal Chandler, I mean, Friday Night Lights is in my top three favorite shows of all time. And mm -hmm. shout out to Kyle Chandler, you know, for being our coach in that series and being amazing. And I thought about this the other day because I was watching Game Night. I thought, when we talk about range, Kyle actually has range. Like, he has <laughs> done so many random things. His character in Game Night is out of control. So shout out to him. But also, Christina's been acting since, you know, she was a child. And she's one of those kind of rare that talents. That is our Casper movie. That is the Casper yes. movie, okay? Christina yes. Ricci's Casper movie is the one, Can I Keep You? Okay, so let's talk about let's talk about icons that they chose yeah for this she's episode. an icon yes and and now she even has a new show on showtime yellow jacket so i'm like i just to see her trajectory is amazing mm -hmm, but shout out mm -hmm. to her she was really acting in this although her character high key was the most <laughs> annoying so i, I just want to <laughs> say I, listen girl i love you i truly do but um the way you just dipped out 
after you put yourself in that position as a paramedic to put your hand into this man without Mm -hmm. even knowing what it was. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, by the time Karev and Burke and everyone kind of put the pieces together that it is still an active, you know, uh, bomb since he was, you know, playing around with his friend and um, bazooka. His just tiny, like a little small bazooka, nothing, you know, crazy. Um, like, right, <laughs> sir, like, why are you guys even playing with this? And so once they realize that, hey, the ammunition is still live in his body, girl gets out of there so quick. I mean, she has like the biggest panic attack and just dies. At the, wrong, and, at the wrongest moment. At the at wrongest the wrong moment. Like, I can't time. fault her, but like, Man, that was Hannah said no. Hannah said good night, good day, young <laughs> sir. Hannah said no. <laughs> so she left so quickly, and Meredith just immediately stepped in. So everyone thinks the bomb's about to detonate, the hospital's gonna blow up, and then they look like, what's going on? Oh, right. It would be Meredith to put her hand in there, right? Yeah, like you said, like she's feeling like superstitious, like you said. She's like, I just have a bad feeling. And you were asking or like kind of alluding to her, like maybe being a bit suicidal. And like, it's interesting because there are not, this is not like the only episode like this. I think later in season three, there are several episodes where it's like Meredith has a death wish. Like, and I feel like this is maybe the first inch of it, but it's not, I don't think she's like actively like, I want to die. I think she's just Mm -hmm. like in such a dark place and it's not like in this part of the season, like Derek has gone back to Addison. Um, yep. You know, she's still an intern. She's trying to like figure out her life and career. And she works at a hellmouth. Like, honestly, like this place has already had so much stuff go wrong. And just like that area of Seattle, I just feel like it's just cursed. The whole hospital's <laughs> cursed. This whole neighborhood is cursed. So, you know what? I think that would also make me feel a bit down. Um, and so I don't know that she like has an active death wish at this time, but I think it's the first like moment where she's leading towards this like super dark place that they take her to. I think like maybe in the next season, there's like an episode where she drowns and like sees her mother and it's like, it it goes like to a a darker place. But I think this is definitely the first like, well, Meredith, maybe we should seek help. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because they don't actually talk about her being depressed But that's clearly what it is. Like she's Mm -hmm. in a a deep, dark depression. And a lot of that is kind of the reason why where everyone is pining over Derek and everyone's pining over Shepard. I'm like, the things that he took these (laughs) both of these women through, the things that he did to both of these women, everybody is like, yeah. And I'm like- There are people who really hate him. And I get it because it is very easy to forget that he toys with, like you said, both of these women back and forth, back and forth for like four seasons before he's like, finally just like solidifies, like, I'm gonna just be with Meredith. And then after that, he's still kind of like back and forth, back and forth with her. But- yeah, he's we we have to look past the swoop, guys. We have to look, look past the salt and pepper swoop and see like his true character. And maybe it's not the best. Like this is the relationship of this show, and it's sort of you know it's like so iconic. And you know, pick me, choose me, love me. But why she had to do all that? Mm, she didn't. I mean, at the end of the day, it, it is she. She didn't. But getting back to this episode because yeah. she's in this depression, and so we I find that she just kind of puts her hand in there because she honestly is just. Taking a chance, you know, on a few things. So what's your favorite episode? What's your favorite scene this episode? I'm sorry. Yeah, it's that part. I mean, that is pretty crazy. Um, It's sort of the beginning of the episode because she's like, 
why did I do that? Like she starts, she's like, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? What did I do? And I just really relate to that. Um, I Again, I don't think it's active, but I think it's sort of like, well, if I die today, who cares? You know, like it just, mm-hmm. if it happens to happen, like, uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not worried about it. Um, for this particular, like for later in the episode, like in the meat of the episode, I think one of, it's hard to pick a favorite scene because they're all so great and rewatching it. I was just like, oh, wait, this one. Oh, wait, this one. Um, but I think the one that I'm going to choose is George and Bailey. Like Bailey has is having mm-hmm. her baby. She's going into labor. George like gets behind her on the bed because she's like refusing the push. Her husband's also in brain surgery, and he's just like talking her through it. And it's a really great like trajectory of their relationship because George has been so timid and shy and like put down upon, and she's so strict and stern. And, you know, like really trying to like wrangle these like crazy interns together. And it's a really nice moment to see like how they've like come together. And then he, she names her baby after him and it's all very sweet. So I think that's the one, the mo- favorite moment that I'm going to pick for this episode. Yeah. You know, there is such a beautiful evolution of George's character throughout this series, to be honest, that we don't talk enough about, but I do enjoy how he and Bailey grow Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, Bailey is not one of those people um, in season one or season two. And to be quite frank, right now in the latest season, who um, she's very much not a woman who makes friends with the people she works with. Like, Mm -hmm. it's very obvious that, like, Mm -hmm. she she separates those two worlds. But this is when we first see her kind of opening up to the idea of these people becoming her family away from home. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so with George, she trusts him because, you know, the entire reason that she doesn't want to um, push and she doesn't want to have this baby is because of her husband. You know, he's having brain surgery. She doesn't know if he's going to live. She just thinks if I hold this baby in for one more day, his father will be here not only to witness it, but maybe, maybe this will be the catalyst that'll like push him to survive this brain surgery. Mm-hmm. And um, she's trying so hard, but George becomes that that strength and support for her. But, you know, Grace is not Grace if you don't. I, I feel like Grace always has this thing where the relationships mirror whatever is going on in the episode. Absolutely. And so, you know, I will say... It's so interesting how in this episode, you know, we start off with Christina saying Burke tells her that he loves her in his sleep. Like, I guess he thought she was sleeper. It's something about them laying down. And, you know, she's like, I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to respond. But he's telling me this. And, you know, she's telling Meredith the story. Meredith is like, oh, great. You love him. You know, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) But they're having this conversation while Meredith's hand is literally in this man's cavity with this bomb. But, you know, when Burke tells Christina, I cannot have you in this room because I will not be able to focus. And she is forced to leave. And she's forced to leave with the man that she is quote unquote loves. Cause I high key, this is going to be controversial. <laughs> I actually never, I never thought that she really loved Burke. Like even well before we could, the season continues and we see what happens mm-hmm. with their relationship. Mm-hmm. I think that she admired him and she respected the work that he did, but mm-hmm. she never truly loved him. And she was always trying to make herself love him because she thought that was the right thing to do, or she thought it was what she needed to do. Right. And so you see her here toggling and the reality is, is, it's so funny to me because Burke is so kind of wrapped up and enthralled in the love that he has for her that he doesn't even notice that she's not standing in this room because of him. She's standing in this room because of <laughs> Meredith. Yeah, that's so true. It's like, this. sorry, this isn't even about you. 
at all, at all. Like not even close to being about you. And so it's interesting because he's caring for her in a way that I I, I do think she needed that relationship because she doesn't really know how to receive love. And so Mm -hmm. he's caring for her in a way to kind of open her up to receiving love. But she is still so focused on the safety of her best friend that she's like, I do not care. So that's an interesting dynamic to have. And then, too, you know, she's trying to stay silent and not tell Shepard because he is operating on Miranda's husband. So she doesn't want to distract him and be like, Mm -hmm. it's Meredith. Meredith is holding the bomb. But like, sir, why do you care? Because you broke up with me to go back to your wife. It's yeah, the the intricacies there are so like fine and like surgical. It's just like she can't tell Shepard because one, it is Meredith and Christina knows like the will they won't they of their relationship. But then also like you cannot distract the neurosurgeon working on your boss's husband. You just, just, just can't do that. And then like it's better for her probably intellectually to be logical and not think about the emotional impact of like her best friend you know, in another room with a bomb that could explode all of them. And so there are just so many little layers of why, of how like she stays, she still stays there. Cause she's like, I need to be close to this because that's my best friend and like all of this stuff. But it's just so many little layers just like right there. It's like the reasons why we love the show, like those like little moments. It is because, you know, I do think that the bomb is kind of representative of the relationships holding on by a thread, right? Mm. Like at any moment, if you move your hand, they could, they could blow up. And that is what (laughs) essentially happens. Like most of the relationships are like very fragile. And uh, even Derek going back to Addison is like just as fragile. I mean, in this episode is when Izzy and Alex first hook up, like that's very fragile. Um, Absolutely. Which is so wild to see because even their evolution as the show goes on, Mm -hmm. you know, um, is definitely not what I anticipated. So, okay. Every doctor, like literally every A-list and I'm saying A-list doctor, because we know who the all-star team is here. Almost every A-list doctor is out of commission this episode. I mean, we have Richard who has a severe panic attack that they think is a heart attack because he is struggling, right? Like Shepard refused to listen to him and is still doing this brain surgery mm-hmm. on Miranda's husband. Freaking Burke is in here trying to figure out how to mm-hmm. get this live ammo out. He's trying to keep Meredith alive. I mean, we all know how he feels about Meredith, his That's surrogate his daughter. Yeah, basically his That's daughter. his surrogate daughter. <laughs> right. And here we go. Miranda's out here giving birth. The bomb is over a fault, like oxygen fault line or whatever. Right, which will kill everyone in the hospital. I'm telling you, this place is cursed, KB. The hospital Rich- is cursed. <laughs> And Richard is struggling. And then Richard's <laughs> wife is there. And Adele is like, oh, if they tell you to sit down, my God, then you're going to sit down. Because she does not care about the gravity of his job in that moment. She only cares no. about him as her husband. And I'm just thinking, ooh, who wrote this episode? Because, well, I know who wrote it. But I'm just thinking in terms <laughs> of, I mean, they truly packed all the drama in one episode. So do you think that this episode was worth it? Absolutely. Like this super size. Did we need this extra time? Ex- absolutely. So here's the thing. This was the first episode of Grey's Anatomy I ever watched. I did not watch the first part. Um, this was really the, this was the post Super Bowl episode, and so part one was Thursday night, and then to hook you, they got you into f- Sunday night after the Super Bowl. So this part two, I had no context. I had never seen Grey's Anatomy before. I don't even know that I knew what the show was because it was so like it only been on for what? less than a year. 
And so I was, I remember very specifically, I was at my father's house. They were watching the Super Bowl. Anyone who knows me knows that I care nothing about sports ball. And then, you know, they do the post game highlights or whatever. And then they do the news and then they do whatever the show is, um, the post Super Bowl show. And so we're all just like sitting around talking or whatever. And we're watching the show. And the moment that I remember was that I called it. I was like, he's going to blow up. And then five seconds later, up and the whole room was like what and so it was absolutely worth it because i think it was like the episode that got me hooked on the show i think it got millions of people hooked on the show it is like even rewatching it it's like very iconic of like the things that this show especially during this time was about like the, the all the relationship like dramas and the little intricacies of the relationships like so many things just from this episode last for so long like Alex and Izzy and Christina and Burke and the Christina and Meredith of it all and then being her person and like so much of this stuff is like iconic Grey's Anatomy but I think it worked so well and got so many people hooked that absolutely it needed to be this huge two-part episode and it was so successful that that I think this episode is probably why it's still on today. Oh my goodness you know that's wild so it um, was not my first episode of Grey's Anatomy. I started in the very beginning. I started day one with the pilot. Everyone who knows me knows I actually don't like pilots. They're not enjoyable (laughs) for me. To be honest, I absolutely really adored this pilot. It's a good one. So I was already heavily invested by the time that this supersize episode came. You know, I do think for as much drama as it had, it was necessary to go a little bit beyond its time in this episode. Because there's no way we could have gotten around all of the intricacies of the drama together. Now, I will say this. From a scientific perspective, <laughs> I cannot wait to dive in um, with our expert in our later segment about this. Because having live ammunition in a person's body cavity <laughs> that will detonate if you don't keep your hand on it and provide that pressure is is this even possible? Like, I don't know that a hand is enough pressure. You know what I'm saying? To yeah, I was it. unclear if it was like, okay, it needs the pressure, but also I think you just couldn't move it. But I also think you just couldn't like jiggle it too much. But the thing is that I think it would have been maybe more sensible if they could have stayed in that room, but they have to go from one like surgical room to the other to get away from the oxygen line. But I'm just imagining like your hand inside, like, I'm sorry, like a gooey man. And (laughs) you've got rubber gloves on, you've got rubber gloves on, which like, you know, doctors have to like be in them all day, but you know, it's still not comfortable necessarily. And they eventually get to take them off. Well, it's a, it's a latex glove, which is a little bit more comfortable than a rubber. Yes. Yes. That's what I meant. Um, but then your hand goes numb, especially because you can't move it. Like the point was that like, you can't even like wiggle your fingers to like get the like blood flowing back in there. And I'm just like, her arm should hurt. Well, no. So here's the issue. Here's the issue because Hannah, Hannah had mentioned, you know, she put her hand in there to stop the bleeding, right? Right. Because it was bleeding profusely. Right. And she wanted to do that. My thing is you have to somewhat, based on where the wound is, in my opinion, you would have to somewhat massage the organ, right? Mm -hmm. You would have to move your hand in some capacity. Like there's no way. And like your hand can't, like how big is the wound for her hand? And she's very tiny. Like she has very tiny hands. So like how big is her hand? Well, it's not not the wound, right? Eventually, It's the bomb. It's the live ammo. So for me, I'm thinking how large is the ammunition? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because that's really the thing that you have to cover your hand with. So also the swap between between Hannah and Meredith 
Um, it wasn't that clean. It wasn't that clean. There's no way. It was not right. that clean. So it was. I mean, I do believe, you know, I, I 100% believe that it would have gone off either way. So I'm glad that they did write that into the show because I think that, you know, it's kind of unrealistic to think it would would have never detonated. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that it did detonate because I think that that was the most realistic thing. Pour one out for Kyle Chandler. Pour one out. Yeah. Because I, I just knew it. Like there was something in my spirit, like while I was watching this episode, I was like, 15 or 16 years old. I was a teenager and I was staring at it like, he ain't gonna make it. Um, But he's so calm and like, I don't know, they think he's like a jerk, but he's not really. Like, he's just trying to like, hold it together because these people are freaking out and he has to be logical. Like he has to be the logical one in order to, to get them emotionally through this moment. And, you know, when they're able to get the body, the bomb out, he takes it away from danger. And I'm just like, the backup people couldn't, uh, there was nothing they could bring up to the floor to like wrap the bomb in before he, he was just like actually walking it out of the OR. And I was just like, they didn't have nothing they could bring upstairs. (laughs) So let me tell you, let me tell you. So Kyle Chandler, you know, and this is during, I I should mention that it's during the same time of Friday Night Lights. And so this is during the the height of Friday Night Lights where people are just getting introduced to, um, to the coach. So this is iconic for him because, you know, um, people started to grow and love Friday Night Lights slowly. Like it, oh, happened, sure. it had like a, it had a much slower kind of cult following. Yeah. Um, I'd say. But and- it goes very, just as deep though. <laughs> I've not watched Friday Night Lights, but I, I, I know about it just because people are so in love with it. Well, yes. Let me tell you as a Friday Night Lights expert. So <laughs> it goes, it goes kind of, um, you know, deep. And so I think it's very interesting because Kyle has had such an illustrious career that having kind of episodes air on both of these shows, um, you know, kind of during a portion of of his career where people were really only introduced to him from like the super fans of Grey's weren't even really paying attention, you know, and two Friday night lights until Mm -hmm. they were like, Oh, that's that guy from the bomb episode. And Oh, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. he's coming back for a couple more episodes Mm -hmm. um, of, of Grey's and like, Oh yeah. You know, it's really interesting um, just to kind of see how the fan base is like really bonded over Kyle Chandler, because again, he has done some really like exceptional work. And so, um, for me personally, he is not my favorite character of this episode. So I will say my favorite character of, both episodes is going to be Hannah, Christina Ricci. And I think because she mostly, um, you know, Kyle is doing his job in the sense that this is his day to day. So he knows every day when he wakes up, if he's going to get a bomb call, there is a high probability Absolutely. that he may not make it. Yeah. Um, Hannah is a paramedic and she's not thinking of life that way. And she mm-hmm. says, you know, in the episode, you know, and uh, at the very end of episode one, before we dive into episode two, I'm, I'm just 22. And so when we catch her in the stairwell, this is early in her life and her career, right. like she is not not in the same place that he is either no, just age wise no. and so i think that she's doing um what she thinks is the right thing to do by putting her hand in there because she's like oh i want to stop the bleeding and, it, and honestly it's a natural human response right particularly mm-hmm. in this line of work to put your hand in there but when she realizes the gravity of what it means um and everyone is kind of in her ear and talking to her and everyone is saying they're like don't do it don't do it don't do it the worst way to deal with someone who has anxiety and like is super young like she is like it's to have like 17 people surrounding you like why did you do that what did you do like you're gonna die somebody's gonna die like this man is gonna die because you did this like made this choice man I have anxiety just thinking about it so it's interesting because you know for me 
she's my favorite character of the episode. And particularly when she has her scene with George, because, you know, George really responds to her in the most human of ways. Everyone else is thinking about kind of the gravity of the trauma aspect, which makes sense. But he understands her fear just human to human and why she's kind of in that stairwell crying (laughs) with blood on her, trying to figure out like, and she doesn't feel like a hero. She doesn't feel like a hero in any capacity, but he's still trying to let her know, actually, girl, the work that you've done today was really great. So yes, I was, you know, still like watching it like, okay, girl, not you just running away though after you made this choice. But also- <laughs> I know, 20 minutes ago, you were like, girl, why'd you make this choice? And you're now you're like, but she was my favorite character of the episode. <laughs> she is, she is. And I still think, girl, what are you doing? Like, I'm, I'm, I still stand by it. Like, girl, you definitely made this choice. You know, but I think that the layers and the humanity of her character make her my favorite because she is exactly- what a normal human being would do. Like, you know, like they would be like, absolutely no, this is too much pressure. I got to go. So I think her trauma response, um, I think everyone has a different trauma response. And I think in this episode, we were trying to make Meredith kind of the heroine for her trauma response. But a lot of people would be like, well, Meredith's decision was also as dumb as (laughs) Hannah's in the first, in the first part. So, you know, all things can be said. Well, this episode truly iconic. I mean, um, truly one of the best. And I can say that, you know, Connie, your love with the show is limited. I can say that as someone who has seen every episode. So let me just go ahead and say that. As mm-hmm. someone who's seen every episode, this is truly iconic. And, you know, because I've seen every episode, I mean, that does in fact make me an expert. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. But you, like... know, you know, I'm not going to revoke your super fan card. I'm not going to revoke you. it just yet. Thank you. I go I go way back with the show. I have the first like four seasons or first three or four seasons on DVD. So I've rewatched them so many times. Um, and Grey's always gets me back. Like they always, you know, somehow pull me back in. Um Right now, we're still on a break, but you know, you never know. You never know when that time will happen when they will um, call to my heart once again. Okay. Well, not you're on a Ross and Rachel size break. Um, <laughs> good luck. Well, I've thank been cheating you on so it with much. other medical dramas. <laughs> Listen, listen. Well, then that just means that I will potentially have to have you back for another season and another episode. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining the show. I had a wonderful time. Thank you so much for having me. I Again, I love this idea. I can't wait to hear what the expert thinks um, because we need to know, like, was this possible? Right. Is this medically possible? We'll be back right after this quick break. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. 
Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am joined by the fabulous New York and California-trained emergency medicine and critical care physician, Dr. Tish. Welcome to On Call with KB. Thank you so much for having me. I am super excited to be here. Thank you, KB. Yes, I'm so excited that you were able to join us. I mean, listen, I kind of felt like it was fate that we met at that music festival. And like, look what happened. (laughs) See how that evolves, how fate evolves. Yes, yes. yes. So I asked Dr. Tish to join today because of her expertise in the emergency medicine space. Um, And, you know, she is genuinely one of the most fun people. And so, you know, that always helps when podcasting as well. So it just made sense to have her on this episode because this episode happens to be uh, part two of what I like to call one of the most extravagant, um, high-octane, high-pressure episodes of the entire series. And it takes place in the chaotic ER of Grey's Anatomy. And we are talking about the episode with the bomb in the body cavity. So first, I always like to ask my guest, Dr. Tish, you know, tell me a little bit more about your life. Like, how did you get into medicine? Was it, you know, with the personal connection? Or did you just have like this, this interest in science like I did growing up, you know, how did you get to where you are now? Yeah, for sure. So I always knew I wanted to be a physician, 
always. Um, I was super interested in science for sure. I remember I actually had had an accident where I like ran into my sister when we were playing outside and I had um, an injury to my lip that I had to go to the ER to get stitches, but then it developed this like really terrible looking scar tissue. So I had to go to the plastic surgeon and I was that kid that was like, can I save the scar tissue when I take it home, please? (laughs) He looked at me like a psycho, but, um, but it was, but I've always been interested in science. I've always been just thoroughly intrigued by how the body works. Um, and so I always knew I wanted to be a physician. So I started initially wanting to go into emergency medicine just because it is so chaotic and it's so crazy. Um, and every day is totally different. You don't know what you're going to walk into. And then I quickly realized that the lifestyle of a trauma surgery was just not for me. Um, and so from there, I was like, you know what? I think that ER is really where I need to be. Uh, And now, since moving to California, I essentially uh, do, I'm full-time critical care, taking care of uh, post-operative surgical patients in the ICU. Oh, I mean, it is one of the most chaotic places. I will say, almost similar to you, I actually had a a very bad car accident and I I split my head open. Oh, wow. And so um, it was like during that process that I learned two things. um, And I guess my parents did too. One, that I have an exceptionally high threshold for pain. They were like, your child is not like even crying. (laughs) I was like, oh. And then two, that I was just so interested in talking to them about what was happening. They were like, girl, you are injured. If you do not just like sit here and relax. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. But what's going to happen when you put the stitches in? So I think that like we're kind of built a little bit different. For sure. sure. It's definitely calling. I I, I agree. For sure. You're like either you like science and medicine or you do not. Either you can handle the gore or you cannot like it's really definitely a self-selective profession absolutely so I also have to ask because you know when I have a lot of medical professionals here I get get the gambit of individuals so you know I've had someone who worked on Grey so she obviously (laughs) watched the show and then I had another physician who had not seen a single episode until we recorded and I had him watch this episode so for you what is your connection to Grey's Anatomy had you watched it prior to you know coming on this show sure yeah for sure. And it's it's interesting because when this show aired, I was a surgical intern, right? So I felt like I could, at that time, really relate to the characters. Um, so I watched Queries religiously for the first several seasons. And then once I kind of got knee deep into residency, all of my television watching pretty much went to nowhere. So um, I definitely remember this episode. It jogged memories for me. This is an emotional episode, you know, it's a jarring episode. Um, and but, you know, after the first several seasons of Grey's, I kind of was too busy to really, really religiously watch the way that, you know, I was able to before. So when it first came out and you were a surgical resident, was it kind of like everyone in your program was kind of watching it and then having conversation about it like, this is not realistic or, you know, this is realistic or they are doing some wild things to be surgical uh, interns because I truly was watching like, now, y'all, how do y'all have time to each have an affair with someone in the hospital? <laughs> how do we have time for this? <laughs> so funny. You know, I don't recall having conversations about this show, likely because, yeah, once you as an is it because an intern is different than a resident, right? Because in an intern, you're really like the scut person, right? You're doing what your resident tells you to do. Your job is to make your resident look good. And so you're running around doing a million zillion things 
on super long days, most days out of the week. Um, so I really can't remember having conversations about grace. Mostly I was having conversations about how crazy life was. Um, <laughs> when not having conversations about my patients. So, so yeah. <laughs> so for you, I wanted to know just from you and your medical expertise, could he have truly lasted with this, you know, bomb in his body cavity without it going off, but also surviving? Because, you know, his blood pressure's dropping, you yeah. know, his stats are not improving. Yeah. And also, you do not want the whole hospital to blow up. So it's kind yeah, of... Yeah, like... I think that, you know, the show kind of melds. So obviously, you have a large, you know, uh, projectile weapon um, that penetrates you. You know, if it's going to hit a major organ or vessel, then you're you're, you're pretty much going to die, you know, not quickly, essentially, likely, most likely. I think it's impossible to know, like, how long... Some a device like that can remain in the body otherwise, you know, like because you, you do likely have to worry about um, metals or toxins leaking into the body, that kind of thing. You know, I did my own kind of research to see if there were any case reports of that. I, I found that there was one case report of a foreign missile possibly in the rectum that basically that person absorbed the majority of the blast. And so it was highly unsuccessful. Um, I, I don't think anyone knows the answer. Well, at least I don't know the answer to that question, but I would imagine it would be an insanely risky um, to have a foreign body indwelling in you for any kind of significant amount of time, even if it weren't like having caused injury to, to an organ. That's yeah. what I would would assume. Yeah, I'm like, I, it can't be more than 24 hours. I feel like that's being generous, but I right. mean, yeah, for because... sure. And then, well, then, and then, even if they were, say, hypothetically, to survive the 24 hours, then we're talking about an infection issue, right? We're talking about after that, what's the infective, infectious complications of that, which would be pretty significant, um, even if they were to survive uh, having, you know, that device in them for that long. Yeah. And then what does that mean for them long term? Right. Like, right. can we get the infection under control exactly. or does this mean something else? So. Exactly. I, I will say I was I was shocked, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, this episode and the episode prior were just fanta- beautifully written. But I would say I was I was impressed after reading that they really, really did their research to. Um, so, uh, you know, kudos to the writers. I remember. And honestly, I, I watched this episode. I remember exactly where I was because I was actually an undergrad when this came on. So mm-hmm. still, you know, my degrees are in biology and chemistry. So still studying, very interested in what was happening on the show. Um, I remember, you know, it happened after the Super Bowl. I did not care about the Super Bowl. I really <laughs> cared about this super sized mm-hmm. episode, I'll be honest. And I remember saying to myself, just watching it, I just knew that man was going to die. There was actually no, like, if you would have told me that by the end of the episode, you know, when his wife comes up and she's like, oh, is my husband alive? And, you know, uh, Dr. Burke is like, yes. And she's like, is he going to stay alive? And, you know, he's like, yes. I would have bet money, lots of money that the answer would have been no. Like, I mean, just, you know, the amount of time. Because to be fair, in this episode, in Seattle Grace Hours. It was less than 24 hours, but it still felt like an exceptionally long time for this man to just have this bazooka in his body. I I would think, you know, in this case, you know, I I would assume he would have been extraordinarily lucky and that most people likely wouldn't have only because we knew he was bleeding out, right? We knew there was a vessel that was compromised because we were told, well, A, she's she's both holding the bazooka and she's preventing him from bleeding out. Right. So... The odds that, you know, you're holding the bazooka and, you know, your hole is where the arteries ble- or the vein is ble- vessels bleeding. 
you know, likely this person, unless they had massive upon massive upon massive um, resuscitation efforts um, with blood products, the likelihood is that this particular individual would not have survived. And then you, adding on to that, you had the EMT played by Christina Ritchie, right, who uh, had her hand in his body cavity and she wasn't that hand wasn't sterile. Um, so even if he were to survive that particular the operation, likely he would have gone on, I'm assuming, to develop some kind of infection. But that particular kind of medical um quandary would have been more easy for me to believe if he weren't actively bleeding mm. um you know at the same time as they were trying to stabilize or make sure that that bomb was uh, didn't go off in his chest cavity so you know it's interesting because i do feel like this episode really is um two parts in that it is a very emotional episode and then you know by the time we get to the end and you know the bomb team is doing what they do and just as Meredith thinks, oh, thank goodness, then the, yeah. the bomb detonates. Yeah. Oh, man, that was and, hard. I mean, she is just watching it happen, which is also wildly traumatic. Right. Um, I was just thinking to myself, it is very heavy emotionally. For sure. Because the whole time I was thinking, you know, as soon as the bomb hits, and obviously that's basically the end of the episode. But I was thinking, I hope Meredith goes to therapy. I mean, that's right. like my immediate yes. first thought. Exactly. And, you know, it's like she avoids therapy like the plague sometimes in <laughs> on this show. And so I'm like, but that should be your first yeah. stop. I mean, you literally watch two people die like right in front of right. you, but in a very like dramatic way. And you're already dealing with death on like a just a normal level as a physician. Yeah. Where it's kind of day to day. But then also they exploded in front of you. Well, exactly. And that's kind of what, you know, we've experienced in healthcare through the pandemic because typically when we treat patients for the most part there's you know minimal risk to your own health or own well-being right unless you're caring for someone with a communicable you know there's yeah, you know, there's all kinds of diseases out there that we have to take extra precautions for. Um, but the pandemic really, when you're caring for patients, there's a real chance. And for a lot of healthcare workers, unfortunately, you know, succumb to COVID nineteen um, in their in their caring for patients, and that's just an added layer of anxiety, an added layer of fear. Um, that yeah, I think necessitates an added layer of just checking in or well, you know. And I agree. I think, you know, after watching this episode, I was like, I'm hopeful that she gets she talks to who she needs to talk to and get the help that she needs. Because, again, that stays with you, you know, even if your own safety is, is not at risk. Right. But her safety having been at risk and the safety of others that she intimately knows and works with and has relationships with, um, you know, that's even a deeper level that that I think, again, had that had been a real life scenario, I would really hope that the hospital would have forced people to <laughs> seek therapy because uh, it's PTSD level experience for sure. I was going say I forced you to take a leave of absence, you know, just for a a brief period of time of some sort, because there's no way, you know, you can just move on to the next patient and not constantly have that image in your mind. I was thinking about that. I was like, there's no way. So I appreciate that she had her support system. You know, obviously she had, you know, um, Izzy and she had Christina there to Mm -hmm. kind of help her. But I was like, girl, you need more than this. And also leave Derek alone. We don't need Hello. Hello. Which, by (laughs) the way, that shower scene, how it was reworked between the previous episode and this episode, which is so magnificent. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just really kudos to the writers for that entire, I mean, it was a beautiful, did they win an Emmy from? You know, I don't know. I actually have to look that up. I mean, you know, they, apart 
from even just being unheard of, Mm -hmm. of having a supersized episode after the Super Bowl. But I talk all the time, like the faith that ABC had in Shonda Rhimes, you know, like from the beginning of this show and when it catapulted even to this episode was wild. So, I mean, she had great writing. Even uh, truthfully, whoever worked as, you know, kind of the set design and everything, Mm -hmm. I just think it was almost poetic and that that sounds terrible, but poetic in how she walks out the room and she's smiling and then the blast happens Mm -hmm. and then you see kind of, and everything's happening in slow motion and there's like fire falling. The details in it actually were really well done from a television perspective. I I totally agree with I mean, Shonda Rhimes is the personification of black girl magic, right? I mean, she's just phenomenal. Such an inspiration. Um, Yeah, I would say that that episode was just, you know, the way it foreshadowed itself, the way that, you know, I mean, from even the beginning, Meredith didn't want to go come out of bed, you know, nothing to live for to the end where it's like, wow, this is, um, you know, you realize that life is short and, and every day is precious. So Life is short, but Meredith, girl, <laughs> you don't need Derek. That's, what, that's literally the whole time. That's oh what I want to tell her. Him. Like, forget Derek, please. <laughs> and the more I rewatch the show, like specifically for this podcast, because I'm still an avid watcher. I still watch, you know, as the seasons come mm-hmm. on. I'm like, what were we doing, Meredith and Derek? Y'all are not the relationship goals. So now I'm rewatching like, girl, please leave him. Oh, my goodness. And even when he shows up to her house, I'm like, oh, go home, Derek. You know, like, <laughs> what yeah. is happening? I know it's unpopular opinion because he's supposed to be the ideal standard. But I was like, mm. You know, it's interesting. And I, I'm probably not the one to talk because honestly, like, I primarily watch cartel shows. I love the like... <laughs> I love the the drama. You're watching Queen the, of the South? I am watching all the cartel shows, okay? <laughs> so, you know, I could live without the romance. Just <laughs> that's just me. Um, so I'm I'm just here for the drama and the uh, and the gore and the fighting. Yes. <laughs> and the underhanding and the cunningness of it all. <laughs> Listen, I'm not mad at it. So for you just as a viewer, do you feel like for maybe other people watching it who, you know, aren't in the medical profession and don't have this background, do you feel like it was a realistic depiction of of this particular trauma? Apart from, you know, him bleeding out and her just holding on with her hand and it being like, no, girl, I think you need a little bit more than that. to." Yeah, you know, it's funny because when I first watched the episode and even when I rewatched it, I was like, that that wouldn't happen right <laughs> but you know after actually like researching things and looking into it yeah i mean yes i mean a bazooka like i had to research a bazooka what is that you know the missile itself doesn't necessarily detonate on impact mm-hmm. right it's designed yep. to destroy tanks and so it typically detonates when it hits metal or something really really hard so it's not it's pretty believable then that this guy could have been hit with the missile and it not detonate right and so unless he's bleeding out or again it strikes an organ or a major vessel. I mean, it's under the realm of possibility that this could happen, right? Um, There's certain things that, you know, certain little nitpicky things that I could say, okay, I don't, you know, maybe that wouldn't have happened in that way. But overall, I think that's it's something that, you know, is not is not super fantastical by any means um, after having really thought about it, which again, kudos to the writers because it takes a great deal of creativity and, and, and knowledge, you know, about how, how these things work, a bazooka missiles and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think uh, I, I, yeah. Hey girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of the girlfriends. 
In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think it was as realistic as it could be for a viewer. But I think the thing that sets it apart is all of the drama, you know, like I feel like the actors are bringing an extra level of drama and care to this that just kind of make you just gravitate towards this episode and everything that it has. Yeah, because this episode is not just about this bomb, right? You've got all kinds of things. I mean, you've got, you know, there's there's romance, there's sex, there's, you know, there's um, just the anxiety of what's going to happen next, suspense, there's everything. You're holding your breath through the majority of this episode. And then just as you think you can let that breath go, then it's like, oh my God, no! 
<laughs> you know, so it it is, and it's it's incredible. You go through the kind of the gamut of emotions in this episode. It's multifaceted. It's it's multi layered, and it definitely lived up to the hype of after the Super Bowl. Now, one thing I will say is I do love Grays because they are always giving you duality almost every single episode if you truly pay attention, mm. and it is almost right when Bailey is giving birth, right that yes. these two men lose their mm-hmm. lives, that the bomb detonates. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of yeah. this depiction of the circle like, of yep, life that is happening. Yeah, exactly. And that happens almost every day in a hospital setting, right? Like you, especially in the ER, you know, women are coming in every day, yeah. you know, like in labor. And people, unfortunately, don't make it out sometimes, you know, when they come to the right. ER. So it was kind of that depiction that was layered. And then I would be remiss if I didn't mention the uh, adultery uh, you know, layers that you see too, because here's Adele with Richard. Oh, yeah. oh, and you Loretta know, divine. She is amazing. Is divine. divine. Yes. Well, I know, right? And here she is, you know, and here is Derek, and he's like, Where is she? Where is she? And we all know that she, he's talking about Meredith. Right. And right. Then here comes exactly. here comes Addison. Yep. And she looking like, no, you know, that is not mm-hmm. who you wanted. That's not this. Exactly. That's, <laughs> that's that wisdom. That's, that's that wisdom coming from. And that's that personal <laughs> experience because she knew what it was like to watch her husband have an affair with another woman that he worked with. Oh, and right. it's the duality of that, right. too. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. So it's her Absolutely. seeing this and kind of knowing yeah. and her instincts kicking in because of the personal experience she had with Richard. Right. And seeing that happen in real time again with the woman that Richard has an affair with daughter. So then it's like the connection of it all, you know, she's seeing this happen and I'm like, I mean, please, what is going on? Giving it to us in just multiple fronts, (laughs) multiple fronts, giving you a lot to think about and a lot to talk about even years later. later. I know. I know. I love it. Well, Dr. Tish, thank you so much for joining the show. And thank you guys for listening to a brand new episode of On Call with KB. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to this episode of On Call with KB. We hope you enjoyed it. Next week, join us as we dive into Grey's Anatomy Season 4, Episode 13, entitled Peace of My Heart. I will be joined by the brilliant cardiologist, Dr. Dan, to talk about the feasibility of a baby's heart growing outside of its chest and whether or not they can survive. You'll have to tune in to find out more. Listen to On Call with KB on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a a podcast. podcast. 
Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love at First Listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 